0: Well, this this can be uh, your like a, a sort of Godotian thing, you know. You're constantly promising the, the great article that never comes.
1: What was like Axl Rose's thing? Like Chinese Democracy? Like was always coming? Like the album for like twenty years after Guns N' This is my Chinese Democracy.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, dude, it's definitely coming. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of the Network Age. I'm Bichel Ritson, and I'm here, as always, with my co-hosts, Nilrun Mardux and Timluck Miptev. And, uh, Timluck, uh, today we were interested in diving into an article that you have been writing, your first exploration into long form, welcome. We're we're excited to to hear your thoughts. And in particular, you have been writing about what you call the dichotomy between the industry dollar and the block dollar. And this is laying out maybe two different economic visions for the the network age. And I'd love for you to just walk us through what what you're thinking and uh, what some of your hypotheses are here.
1: Let me start at the highest level and the motivation. So the motivation for this was looking at some, seeing some threads on Twitter about how pervasive the dollar is in like international supply chains, trade, lending, everything like that, and how inextricable it is and how even if if a country wanted to get off of that, it would doom their economy. And I didn't really disagree with the premise. It sounds about, you know, about right. And I think uh, things about the dollar's, you know, upcoming demise, in my opinion, are generally overdone, (laughs) Um, even though, you know, you can look at some specific aspects that have gotten a little harder for it. But I generally agreed with the premise. And what I wanted to think about was a couple things like one, if the dollar is so entrenched, what are some of the very high, like, let's assume that it's entrenched and then think about what might it be providing Uh, in a positive way that people that people want, you know, people across like, you know, businesses, people internationally. And then if I'm so convinced that parts of uh, crypto will sort of gain competitiveness or become like important uh, payment, commerce, etc. rails, what are their possible inroads versus the dollar where, you know, maybe the dollar's general like strengths aren't as applicable. And when I say the dollar, that's what I call the industry dollar, which is just the system we think of now of, you know, bank settlement loans being priced in dollars, um, it being a currency used for a lot of, you know, energy trade, everything in global supply chains, working with that. And so yeah, I call that the industry dollar. And then this alternate system that exists somewhat now, but not that much, um, I would call like the block dollar. And we can get into a little bit like why I make the why I make those differences, or what I'm trying to get at with those those words?
0: Yeah, like uh, I think like dive right into that. It's it's worth uh, sort of understanding uh, these nuances.
1: Sure. So the first thing I want to say, and I'll probably repeat this ten times during the episode because I think uh, it's something people get hung up on, is that I'm not making sort of a distinction between bits versus atoms or virtual versus real world. And I think that's really important because I think that uh, both the industry dollar and the block dollar have elements of both that are very important. Um, And so I think that, you know, takes people off track. What I am looking at is a few different distinctions that I play with, which is one, uh, low versus high marginal cost. I think everyone knows things like software, information, content have very low marginal cost, almost zero generally. Uh, Whereas, you know, things Uh, Have high marginal costs to distribute to people. Another is like what types of industries and economic activity do better with uh, financing themselves through lending versus like sort of equity investment. And the other one I really play with in the name of block dollar and industry dollar is this thing that I call uh, hardness, which is a topic I stole from Josh Stark. It's a great article Mm -hmm. about. Um, Adams institutions should and blockchains. Should we get all we should, our
0: hardness jokes out of the way now, or or just sprinkle assume them I, in just assume the I've episode? Made you recently turned what 39, so yeah. So hardness is a problem for for you already. Well,
1: it's it's interesting. I think probably the inspiration for this article is that I've been feeling you know harder than ever.
0: Um, <laughs> That's great. That's of, great in a lot <laughs> of cases. Yeah. yeah no, you it's, said, I you think, said what of, is explaining this? It must be uh, the future economic systems well, of the think network that- age.
1: I do think that aspects of the block dollars rails explain it. Like, you know, when I, I actually like have a script to refresh, like, you know, where my ETH stack is at, you know, each day on like an hourly basis. And so I think that contributes a lot to a sort of form of blockchain hardness. Um, <laughs> but, you know, those jokes aside, uh, just to go into the topic real quick, and Mitchell, you should we should have this in the show notes for people because I, I just love this article. It's from a, maybe about half a year yeah, ago. Yeah, it's a good article. Josh yeah, and what, what uh, Josh gets into in the article is this idea that there's sort of, we think of like, you know, music, newspapers, websites, all transmitting this thing called information. And there's also this thing called hardness, which is this ability to make commitments in the present and then have some, you know, guarantees that they'll be carried out in the future. So the simplest one is uh, hardness like enforced through atoms. Which is, you know, back in like, you know, gold does that, you can't inflate it uh, past a certain amount because of like, you know, it's hard to find those atoms in that configuration. And so it like tends to be good for money. Uh, You could also use it for, you know, maybe 200 years ago for not having elections influenced by, you know, like East Coast voting not affecting middle of the US voting because you just couldn't move the atoms to communicate fast enough in order to like let, you know, results be influenced by what people in, uh, you know, the East had done prior to like, you know, the center of the country voting. And so that's like, you know, atom hardness. It's pretty intuitive. You can enforce some guarantees about things based on just physical constraints. Then there's institutional hardness, which is much more widely used. And that's like probably best thought of as the banking system, the legal system, uh, all of those things brought together, which lets you which sort of uses these human institutions, particularly American institutions internationally, in order to enforce agreements about, you know, what a company is, who owns it, what a lending agreement is, and when it's satisfied. And those institutions can, you know, they don't enforce it perfectly. Or maintaining that perfect hardness, but they're they're good for it, and they're good for certain cases, and that's what I claim the industry dollar is doing.
0: This is why uh, mommy needs to get you your chicken tendies, is because you earned enough big boy points, and uh, the the institutions need to enforce that.
1: Yes, you can see the institutions as playing a couple a couple roles there. They, like they enforce the idea of what you know good boy points are in the first place, mm-hmm. um, and then you know how many of them you have. Uh, how many attendees they're tradable for, uh, what mommy agreed to, uh, you know, how many good the, the good boy point rate that she agreed to give you your attendees uh-huh. for. And so right, and it's all, it's all of that. And I think that absent blockchains, we probably wouldn't even go into an idea of hardness and we would just assume that it's something that institutions enforce. And the big thing about blockchains is they gave a new way, to sort of put commitments uh, in the present into the future now institutions and blockchains are both socially backed at their base like you know ethereum has social consensus at the very base of it but it, it's you know it's a much harder to alter consensus and lets you make these more programmatic commitments um, and so the big thing in in institutional hardness the big thing is making your arrangements sort of, legible to those institutions. So your corporations need to fit into a certain form, have certain, you know, shareholder and like, you know, board setups, Um, you know, for lending your companies and your business activity has to fit certain forms and be supported by accountants so that it's legible to banks. Um, And in blockchains, similarly, you have to expose, uh, you know, your activity in a programmable form so that the hardness it wants can be, you know, enforced by those blockchains. And so that's just... Um, You know, just two very different kinds of hardness. And one idea that I realized as I was writing it is that institutional hardness is really good for under collateralized lending. Like if you have, let's say, you know, I have a certain amount of money that my company makes a month by selling widgets. um, And that's pretty predictable. Institutions uh, let people look at you know, how many widgets I sold in the past and be confident lending against those, which is really useful for, you know, in order just to enable your business activity and grease the wheels.
0: Yeah, I think something that's interesting about uh, discussions we've had in the article you're working on is that unlike some people, you you don't necessarily think that industry dollars or, institutional dollars or institutional hardness is totally useless. I feel like some people believe in a, mm. a, a vision of the future where every single thing in you know the network age is totally replaced by what you might call block dollars or um, blockchain hardness. And it seems like it that's not exactly the vision you present and you think that there are there is still utility offered by some of these other systems right. of hardness.
1: I think there's massive utility. And so I, like as an example of sort of a view I think is wrong, I would see Bitcoiners realize that like current institutions enable lending, and they would talk a lot about how their way of handling that in their sort of millenarian uh, fantasies was that lending would go away and everything would be replaced by equity type investing arrangements. And if you just look at how moving stuff around or doing supply chains works, that's just not what you want. Like, if you have this predictable flow of people are going to buy these widgets from me, and there's this gap in time between when I stamp out their atoms, uh, then they get shipped to people, and when I get paid, um, you want to lend against that. There's no, it's, it's a certain, it's a fairly certain activity. And so I think current institutions are great for mediating that. Um, I will say that I could imagine a future in which some aspects of those institutions moved into a blockchain setting. And I think that people who are at the the cutting edge of DAOs the most are, you know, working on making tractable institutions there. But we're, we're very far away from that right now.
0: And can you explain um, where you think the block dollar is most applicable in what industries and where you see some of this change either already beginning to emerge or what you hi- where you hypothesize these systems are going to be starting to replace the industry dollar?
1: Yes. So this is very much a path thing. Like, because as I just said, you could conceive of a world in which some of these institutional lending and trust functions do get somewhat blockchainified or programmable. But that's not, you know, a realistic path to right now. So, where I see it right now is anything related to producing certain types of just disembodied software or content. When I say disembodied, like just the the software doesn't have any necessary dependencies on parts of physical supply chains. So the the simplest examples are, you know, I want a a program created uh, or I want some content made. I think those lend themselves really well um, to a blockchain type uh, setup or a block dollar type setup because they're much more zero to one equity based. And what I mean by that is that they have this stage in life where someone's working on a piece of content and or, you know, being a content producer and doesn't know he has a consistent audience yet, or someone's working on a piece of software, and she doesn't know yet whether it will have, you know, you know, an ultimate audience or like fit. And once they do have that, you know, you don't have this like thing that you do when you're stamping out widgets where, you know, people are going to want to buy it, but you have to like pay for the widgets first. In mm-hmm. this case, you make it, it costs you zero to make it and you get it to them. And people, of course, have known about this with software and information uh, for a while. But the key thing about that is that lends itself really well to having people back that in the hopes of rewards and then getting the rewards without needing like, you know, an ongoing um you know, lending setup, which is what we call you know equity investment, and startups have discovered this long ago.
2: Mm, so you wouldn't want to use debt. Of course, no one would want to lend against
1: that because it's still so high risk. Is that is that kind of the point? Exactly. So lending is one of these things where so when you do equity investment, you need it to have lots of upside because it can be fairly uncertain. Now it doesn't have to have infinite upside, but it has to have you know some amount. Um, whereas for debt. Pretty much only bad things can happen. Like equity is defined as sort of, you know, lots of good surprises can happen and your thing can get super popular and have Mm. huge rewards. Whereas debt, you're getting this fixed percentage. And so if you're wrong at all in assessing it, you're completely screwed. And it doesn't it doesn't work very well. So no one would want to use, generally speaking, use debt for uncertain ventures. And we see that in terms of software investment, software investment mostly happens on currently on these sort of industry dollar type rails, but it uses the parts of them in the legal system that relate just to like, you know, equity investment, because that works so well for these businesses that once they work, they just keep working and don't cost a lot to deliver the actual, you know, the actual thing.
2: Yeah, and they just don't seem as fundamentally difficult to coordinate. Can you kind of talk about complexity, for example? Like, is it do we need the institutions for the industry dollar because it's um, fundamentally complex sort of organization happening? Like, why can't mm. a blockchain organize, I don't know, chip manufacturing, for example?
1: Yeah, you need you need the standardization that those institutions present, um, like that the industry dollar gives in order to do things like chip manufacturing because they have so many pieces along the way and so many of them do have to be, you know, lent against and have like physical things moving around and ca- like, you know, capital investments being made, but then stuff happening on an ongoing basis that if you were doing them, Using you know, blockchain rails, you would have to have so many institutions in there anyway to make it all work that you sort of just yeah. be reinventing the same thing. You're, you're not getting like many of the benefits of being in a sort of this program, having this sort of more programmable type of hardness. You almost have to use human decision-making, you know, intervention institutions in order to make it work in my
2: opinion. So to some extent it's like what, ratio of human like what of, of the total work or coordination that's happen, having to happen, like what ratio of it is human? Is that like a decent way to what kind of ratio of it two?
1: Yeah, it's what ratio of it involves human judgment. So there's a lot of human judgment involved in assessing, you know, credit worthiness. Uh, you know, whether something that's happened in the past is indicative of what will happen in the future. A certain level of how much you trust the various uh, legal and business relationships along the way. Whereas if we're talking about um, You know, something like someone's going to crowdfund a book they're making or a piece of software they're making, you generally just have to limit the trust in that to either having some programmatic or trust mechanism for will the profits or the rewards of that get distributed back. And maybe even for something like content creation, there might not even like just the thing existing might be enough. And it mm-hmm. might just be this zero or one thing where people are fine with the content, you know, exists like existing at the end. But, you know, for a software, we, we've seen a lot in crypto where things, tokens have these equity like uh, characteristics where they do are able to successfully distribute back uh, profits. And that's the only point at which, you know, there has to be some level of, you know, trust or coordination. So it's a much smaller surface area. Yes.
0: Yeah, I think one thing that I find persuasive about this is a sort of (laughs) judiciousness of the vision in that sometimes when people get excited about a certain technology if they're if they're a maxi or something right you want to make every single thing fit into that paradigm that you've created for yourself right like sometimes it's not enough to just be enthusiastic about Mm -hmm. blockchain where it fits you know we talked about this on an earlier episode about how how so many times it's it's we need uber but on the blockchain or airbnb but on the blockchain um or uh Mm -hmm. all our smart homes on the blockchain and i think that it makes so much more sense both in terms of you know, resources and sanity to actually think about where does the technology that we're creating and what it enables create better systems as opposed to just adding more hoops to jump through because the hoops have the name that we have attached ourselves to. That
1: is a great seg into what I called in my first draft of the article, Social AI, based on Justin Murphy's article that, you know, make a note, link it in the show notes, because it's a great article, even though I think maybe the name needs some workshopping. But what Justin was getting at in the article is this idea that there's this type of sort of business social activity that's really well suited for, um, you know, the block dollar, although he does not know it. By its, you know, true name yet, in that, you know, in that article, um, so whatever the altar to an unknown god. Um, but what what he's getting at is that there's these sort of there's sort of structures. You can think of it as like. What is Reddit missing, and what is Ethereum missing? So Reddit is is like missing two big things. It's so it obviously coordinates a lot of information, and I still am amazed at the types of stuff I can dig up in subreddits and the amount of content that's been put together. I think I was reading. Have you ever read like Book of the New Sun, Mitchell? Well, no, it's a good, no. it's good, very good fantasy novel. But um, uh, basically, I was you know looking at the. Reddit like sort of notes and interpretations and stuff, and people have just put together really good content over the years, and it's just sitting there. So it can make these like sort of almost organic, alive communities that produce copious amounts of knowledge on demand. Totally, but it's not it's not very programmable. Uh, so you can't do arbitrary cool stuff with it. You just have to use the interface there. Basically, the Reddit devs are separate from the Reddit users, and also it doesn't have you know block hardness or money or assets or that kind of program programmable rails built into it and so that drastically limits the types of structures that can arise you can't have you know new forms of people wanting to fund certain people who produce the best content or discover who's the best at funding it and producing it uh, and then similarly on the other side you know ethereum does have that possibility but because it isn't, you know, its OS is pretty limited, just the Ethereum chain itself or even a simple EVM roll-up, you also can't get that kind of programmability. And so his hypothesis is that when you combine Ethereum with a programmable operating system, of which Urbit is really the only kind out there right now, you'll get this unlocking of sort of Reddit on steroids where the users can set themselves can modify what its software is and what it's doing. But they can also form novel capital structures and fund the people there. Now, that's the kind of activity that I think uh, is pretty much just impossible with the industry dollars. So as much as many strengths as I think it has for certain types of complex, you know, supply chains, or, you know, businesses shipping physical stuff. um, It's very bad for this kind of I guess a lot of people like to call this you know almost like techno capital uh societies
2: is that just because it's it's just so different from how they're used to evaluating like they're just not used to like this sort of evaluating a model where it might have massive upside if you do get the community mm-hmm. to kind of have this feedback loop or you're, you're why getting does at the industry system why did not work? struggle on it yeah
1: yeah, the best answer I have so far, and I'm still working on it is that the Industry Dollar has a lot of benefits, which we've discussed now. And none of those benefits really apply in this world. So it's very good for, you know, handling lending uh, and evaluating what a business is doing. And you don't really need or want that in this context because there's nothing to lend against, right? What you really want is for people, and also it does, you know, a good job handling the idea of a corporation and what it is and making that legible to legal systems and the financial system. And you also don't really need that. In fact, it actually adds a ton of friction if you have three people getting together in like a Reddit or Urbit context who want to make some new, you know, thing there, you know, some new production or piece of software or content, having to like navigate you know, the corporate structures of the three different countries they might find themselves in. And um, we we should show note um, Noah Smith's bankless episode uh, from last week. But um, he he sort of he actually got into that in terms of, you know, one possible use of Web3 uh, that would be good there. So all the stuff it's giving you, you don't really want. And all the stuff it makes sort of the costs it imposes in order to give you its good stuff. uh, You know, those add tons of friction. So it's, you know, sort of all costs and no benefits, which is a really good recipe for something being bad,
2: yeah, I was thinking of this in the context of the Twitter um takeover by Elon Musk, and hmm. he like had you know he had said like you know he'd fired. The moderation um head as well as like the ceo and the, there's this general like sense that he's going to get rid of the moderation team and then i saw this tweet by like one of the eu officials being like you will follow our rules to the eu <laughs> it's just like dude you know so it seems so hard to actually create software that isn't subject to these institutions where the institution just might be like you have to moderate but your users don't actually want you to moderate it's this weird Right. And and Twitter
1: is probably a good example of, you know, a business that's able to do okay in an industry dollar paradigm. But it actually, that probably stops it from monetizing in ways that would be good for them because they can't really Mm -hmm. do good crypto integrations. Um, It also, as you know, like subjects them to regulation that uh, because of the way their stuff is. You know, structured physically, uh, they have to do, but it's probably not beneficial to their business necessarily. Yeah. Um, you know, a sort of whether that that moderation is desirable is a sort of a totally different conversation. I'm just talking about like sort of is that is the current Twitter structure the one that would emerge from like a, you know a competitive like primordial soup? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, just because the the users don't necessarily want what it's providing. Um, yeah. So I think that's. <laughs> That's one I hadn't thought of, but it's definitely true. I would just make one last note that its use of the industry dollar as its sort of money rails limits it to very basic forms of equity financing in the public markets. Although, like, Elon, is Elon taking it private? I think he might be taking it private. Yeah, it's right? private now. Actually, that's, today, it's crazy. Actually. Crazy. Yeah, Um, and then <laughs> but you know, that's also a very simple form of financing It's only able to be done by one of the world's very richest men. Um, you can't sort of crowdfund yep. a takeover of Twitter in the same in the same way, which would be pretty crazy. Not with that attitude. Um, <laughs> I mean, we well, yeah. honestly we, we may see that as some. Yeah, we, we may see that at some point. Uh, but also, I, w- I wanted to say that it's monetization is just limited to ads, because that's one of the, in an online context, monetization of popular websites is really limited. A lot of it is just ads or little cuts of revenue from, you know, people the ads that people get, like YouTube has. Mm-hmm. And so I think the industry dollar definitely really limits these uh, content-oriented Web2 businesses a lot in terms of the ways they can, like, generate money in ways that kind of suck. Like, you know, ads being the only way is kind of kind of crappy.
0: Yeah, yeah, bad for our experience, for sure. Um, I, I wanted to <clears throat> dive a little bit more into this concept of social AI and what types of um, experiences, products, um, pathways are enabled by combining that with mm-hmm. the... Um, block dollar you know we have this reddit example um, and being able to attach payments to that and in some ways it seems like what <clears throat> well, you're streamlining is, a, is something like crowd wisdom or crowdsourced funding like a more complex version of that is it but it seems more complex than just having you know like a sort of hive mind of blockchain kickstarter mm-hmm. so what, what else do you envision is possible here
1: you get at something really good when you like, because you immediately perceive the limitations of that model, which is that like, right, like sort of forums plus Kickstarter. And I think the really key thing about the idea of social AI is the idea that programming is also in that loop. So essentially, when you, whenever you're using Kickstarter or Reddit or any of these, there's this difference between content creators or users and the platform itself and its developers. And so the reason I I know why Justin wanted the word AI, because he wanted this kind of feeling of self-modification. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. my brain is a neural net processor, a learning (laughs) computer. Um, and the the idea that you could have the users of the platform themselves be developers or be paying developers to change what it is, like, you know, change Kickstarter into, okay, it's Kickstarter, but like, you know, the profits get split among these people or it's Kickstarter, but like, you know, the first 10 people to apply also like, you know, become like the rulers of this new like DAO that governs the product. I'm using very basic examples because, yeah, you know, it's hard for us to understand, but. One thing Justin did recently that I thought was cool was just like, as sort of a proof of concept of this, was just tell his, you know, I think Twitter followers that, you know, the first person who makes me X app on Urbit to make my experience better in this way, I'll, you know, give them this compensation, which actually wasn't a lot by developer standards. Mm -hmm. And he he had it really fast. And you can start to imagine that kind of AI is probably the wrong word, but the idea of like sort of, it's like reflexive. Um, It's turning back in on itself and you're able to, when you want the hive mind to be able to do more, you can ask it to like upgrade its capabilities is very compelling. And I think that's really what we're getting at here. Uh, and in, you in can this, start trusting it to some extent
2: there, right? With Because like you see that, okay, there's a one-day turnaround to get an app built that you need. And it's like, okay, now I can start making business decisions with that in mind. With yes. This you,
1: so there's two aspects. So one is is that one, which is you can start to build reputations and trust. And that's what I mean about having the people who are the most productive be able to emerge because you're able to give them tasks and see who does it. And then like that reflexively lets them be more likely to get the next tasks which is cool uh you want to do fiverr well imagine i'm great but fiverr but if like you were able to modify the platform of fiverr itself as Mm -hmm. one of the possible tasks and i think we yeah uh, whenever you have something like that one of those like really powerful feedback loops Uh, I i think very interesting things tend to happen And they're very unpredictable. But I think this also, we talked earlier about equity and how equity is this constant zero to one process where you don't know whether something will work. And then when it does, it's just there and you can keep using it and it doesn't Mm -hmm. cost a lot to maintain or use. And I see this kind of, these kind of like reflexive platform upgrades, sort of self healing, self improving as this, you can kind of make this constant series of zero to one things where like, okay, I want someone to add this feature. Oh, you know, I don't know if they'll be able to do it. Oh, they did it. Now I can like ask for this next thing. I don't know if that will work. Oh, it did. So now we have this new and better machine. And at its core, that's like really the dream of Erbit is that kind of reflexive self-improvement, self-healing. And it's been a pretty big, you know, engineering task to make that possible. And I only sort of throw Erbit in right now because, you know, as we noted, I don't think that Ethereum plus Web2 is enough or just Ethereum on its own. And I think you really need to link, like you need, the, the key about the block dollar is that it's also programmable. It can exist in these reflexive self-upgrading worlds. That's its kind of key, like selling point is that it's a suitable, you know, it's the money for the, you know, the Terminator.
2: And it seems hard for the institutions to prevent it, right? So they can prevent Twitter from doing what it wants. They can prevent it mm-hmm. from having um, using crypto, for example, like they prevented Facebook from doing that. Um, but it seems very hard to do that in this sort of new peer-to-peer computing world that Urbit brings it's, in connection uh, it, to that.
1: It's not, It's not really possible. You'll always have some random like anons or people living in favorable jurisdictions doing what they want. And I need to, it's almost like we're sort of all collectively working on this like, you know, we're sort of, we are the Terminator and we're working on the Terminator or maybe there's a lot of them and we're sort of upgrading them. And I, I do like the word AI for it, but maybe we need to get something that's closer to like sort of robots or or this, this is like sort of, they are these kind of techno capital organisms that we're in. And I'm sounding really like autistic. Uh, I actually like really dislike Nick Land's writing, but it's the kind of thing that people who are obsessed with those things tend to get into. But I think, um, you know, these like these organisms that are made out of Code, content, and capital. Maybe I'll
0: play mm. off, you know, riff off of that. Hey, yeah, yeah, that sounds it. nice. That's a good little, uh, you know, I, 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 little I phrase. Think some I ring think the to idea,
1: it. I think the idea that they're made out of that and that you've had, you know, an organism out of that is really cool. And for me, that really gets at what the block dollar does is that you actually can't use in the same way that like it's really hard or maybe impossible to use the block dollar to like have chip manufacturing work. You really can't use the industry dollar to like make an organism that's like built from code content and capital. And that's it's like big, big cool thing for me.
0: Yeah, the, the block dollar in this sense is sort of like the gas, the fuel for this evolutionary system, right? It's not that like these, th- that Reddit couldn't evolve in this way if everyone really, I don't know, wanted to, like, and it was their goal to build some whole new Reddit you could use differently or something. But it's without the block dollar there to create these incentives and waifs for people to encourage it, it's just not going to happen.
1: Right. I think if you went to people on Reddit and said, Turn Reddit into this code content capital organism using the current primitives available in the world today. They would reinvent the this sort of block dollar the block dollar as the lifeblood of that. I like it a little bit more Well, maybe it is oil. I don't know. It's it's like this Terminator Tin Woodman uh, made out of its like programming.
0: <laughs> You're a your metaphor. Write it off into the sunset. You know, get this. It's, add as many arms and legs and get this thing get this thing crazy. You and know. Then,
1: yeah, but it's it's. Yeah, it's it's very exciting when I put it that way, and I, I don't want to interview myself here, but I thought that one <laughs> like one cool thing that uh, came up when I was thinking about all this was I really delved into the example of Stripe because they're a great way to sort of steel man the idea of is the block dollar necessary? But yeah, uh, I
0: think we should. I, I think we should go there for for a little bit. Yeah, like, yeah, go it's to a a good, It's a good section. Like
1: well, so. Let me let me just start by talking about where Stripe is positioned because, uh, so what's first of all what they are for those who don't know is they're a payments company and what they do is they try to provide software to make everything about paying money, you know, with credit cards and receiving money with it just work from the perspective of users and developers. So if you're a merchant and you want to, you know, receive money into a bank account from people in different countries, their idea is to sort of make that just work. If you're a developer developing for a business that needs to receive money in those ways, they try to make it just work. And th- their stated goal is to increase the GDP of the internet. Now, that sounds a lot like the block dollar, um, and I think that until you really, so I think even a lot of very well-meaning people who are sort of very you know techno optimist, uh, the sort of like you know let's say like you know Patrick McKenzie, like Patio Eleven on Twitter, um, who actually works for Stripe, not coincidentally, um, is very into this idea of like essentially we have enough already. Like crypto people, stop trying to do all this extra stuff because. If you do what Stripe does and make like, you know, bank accounts programmable in this way and make business easier, and they even do stuff to make forming corporations or borrowing money against your invoices uh, easier, you know, that's what you want. And as I delved into it, my sort of the thing I came away with was actually not not really. And the reason is that when you get into what Stripe's real mission is and what they're doing very well is they're making all of these industry dollar institutions more programmable and more efficient and also more globally accessible. So if you're you know an entrepreneur in India, it's easier for you to hook into these like these global supply chain monetary rails Mm -hmm. uh, than it would be otherwise. Or if you want to start a company uh, easily, they take care of that for you. Or if you're a small business and you have all this money coming in monthly and you want to be able to borrow against it for you know the just for capital efficiency because you know you're going to make it, but you want you need the cash first. You know they'll also do that. They have Stripe Capital, Um, and it really helped me to realize that. The dichotomy here is not atoms versus bits because everything Stripe is doing is very much in the world of bits and is very digital, but it's doing a different thing. It's trying to make the industry dollar work really well, but all of the stuff that it enables wouldn't really be suitable for making one of these code content capital organisms because of all we've talked in past episodes about sort of fire breaks and like, you know, various sort of intentional forms of friction in the industry dollar and the, yeah and those are all still necessarily present.
2: Mm. Mm. Okay, so really interesting. So Stripe is basically just like bringing the institutions to tech to a large extent.
1: Definitely, that- and that's and that's an extremely noble vision. I think that they're a fundamentally good company doing a hard thing really well and making, you know, shit tons of money as a result. And I think I just think that they there's this fundamental cap on what they can do and that cap comes at the level of these kind of constant iterative zero they can't enable this constant chain of self-upgrading zero to one processes because of the amount of friction you have to insert if you want to operate with the industry dollar in the form of things like, you know, KYC, uh, banks, you know, sort of putting halts on things or blocking them, uh, yeah. costs of doing corporate formation, legal issues, stuff like that. There's just like, you just can't enable this sort of constant firing chain of like zero to one things happening in the primordial, you know, robot soup. Especially that block of just needing it to like be domiciled in a particular area, even though,
2: you know, it's like crypto is inherently very global. Um, it sort of assumes the same state regardless of where you live. Like it anyone can participate
1: in, you know, Ethereum without having to mm-hmm. um yeah, domicile
2: in a particular jurisdiction. Yes. The
1: way I the way I think of that is that um the industry dollar actually is a very sort of digital entity in a lot of ways, and it has its own set of APIs uh, for the, you know, application programming interfaces, basically these kind of little hooks that when you need to, that let you do operations on it. So if you have an industry dollar a business in the industry dollar, you need to be able to have it have a certain type of accounting, it has to have certain like, you know, be registered in certain domiciles, mm, yep. and the, the system needs to be able to interact with it in order for it to make any sense there. And so the the things you have to do to make an activity fit into that are not conducive to this sort of explosive uh, efficiency for information businesses. Although they're really, really useful for for businesses that are more traditional and want to eventually, you know, fling bits around. Um, Which actually... (laughs) um, Well, I want to actually, that actually brings me to one common misconception I want to get at, which is I've talked about businesses that have low marginal costs. And we think of those as, um, you know, things that you that ship real world stuff around being the stuff that has, you you know, high marginal cost. You have to, for everything you make, uh, you know, this physical thing, you have to ship it around and make it and that has a cost as opposed to, you know, just spreading information with software content. Uh, But there also is like this interesting example of finance where if you want to do things like arbitrage, you actually do have high marginal cost. Like you have this process that can eke out a little bit of money and you want to borrow against it in order to make a lot. And it's actually pretty interesting that the most recent example of the block dollar being really unsuited for a certain type of business was actually exactly this. So Three Arrows Capital was doing tons of arbitrage or claiming they were. And they needed to borrow against that. And so they were doing this very kind of crad industry dollar type activity, but people were trying to do it on fully, you know block dollar uh, crypto rails or whatever. And what ended up happening was just this total shit show because they didn't have to do the work of making their thing legible and lendable in all the ways you normally would. And they ended up just being able to scam all of the people that they were borrowing money from. So that so the, the, they were in a very high marginal cost business, which is arbitrages are high marginal costs. They require money right then in order to do. Um, so you want to borrow to make them efficient. And I think it's actually a good example of like, I think the block dollar should stick to what it's good at for some amount of time. And if it doesn't, it's going to be forced to by the market discipline of everyone losing all their money until they figure out that like under collateralized lending does not yeah, yet work very so, well in this context.
2: So in, um, to that point, like where do you see areas like now that we add in Erbit to mm-hmm. East and as things kind of accelerate, where are areas that like, you know, maybe used to rely on institutions, but can now move towards this more, block uh, dollar rails, like maybe like, I don't know, Mm -hmm. centralized Twitter Mm -hmm. seems like actually one that wouldn't be that hard to build now.
1: Well, there's, there's things about that, but I think anything. So we've talked about these kind of, or these kind of code content organisms. So I think, um, but I think that more specifically software that isn't necessarily tied to an industry. So stuff that's been thought of as SaaS. uh, I think can iterate more rapidly on these, uh, techno capital, like Urbit plus ETH rails. I think that's one really promising thing is like collaboration tools, productivity tools, anything that's just very detached from a specific industry. Um, and then I think content generation and funding of it by fans, enthusiasts, or even people who make money from the content in the forms of like, you know, membership and investor groups and things like that. Um, I think those are really well suited for it. The type of software that isn't that well suited for it would be software that's really connected to a certain type of like, you know, actual industry. So, you know, maybe stuff done for, you know, software related to chip manufacturing probably doesn't lend itself well to that. Software for like, you know, space exploration or, or just even industrial processes. But for a lot of companies, if you look at the developers they employ,
0: all right, Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, boys, families yeah. The entering do not the want him knowing,
1: yeah, yeah, the secret, these are the secrets you can't know, but th- those kinds yeah. of like information processes <laughs> That's that are really very-
0: the uh, the industry, uh, people coming out to get you this the sound of their missiles before um, they take you out, keeping the knowledge safe
1: so. There's these kinds of, like, information processes that are software but are coupled. But then, like, a lot of companies, like, you know, my uh, brother used to work for an insurance company uh, doing the software for them. Yeah. And their developers were pretty much just t- totally cut off from the rest of the business. They could have all just been working in Tahiti and no one would have known, along with, like, you know, Monsieur Gauguin. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> there's and, some uh, deep Lyle, inside Lyle, jokes. right? Yeah. Right. Exa- exactly. And... And, and so I think a lot of these businesses, once you get these sort of very kind of SaaS, like uh, startup type investment things, as those go fully block dollar, I think then decoupleable parts of, you know, the software that's in companies may happen. But I think for a, a long time, you probably have trillions of dollars of economic activity that is just like people making, you know, kind of productivity software to coordinate minds mm. and content happening. And I think we're going to be in, we have so much to exploit in that phase and so much necessary stuff to be done that I actually think that it's going to be a while until the more sort of more traditional parts of what the industry dollar does get taken out and we th- that will probably be with us for quite you know quite some time and it's pretty much the form it is now i actually anticipate more new business developing and new markets opening than old ones being replaced right away
2: Yeah, and I think one thing we had talked about just in relation to the article that I think was kind of interesting that we haven't touched on yet is this idea that, like, look, for a lot of things, the institutional, the industry dollar works. And so, like, it's not just, you know, is the block dollar able to do it, but can it do it much, much better? And it's Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. yeah, so it seems like it, it needs to
1: overcome that just inherent barrier right that's why i started i really delved into the example of social ai and these code content capital organisms in the article because those seemed like clear things where not only like is the industry dollar you know, not great for them and the block dollar, you know, 10x better, they really don't even exist now, or in any form, because of this too much friction to their happening. And so I always like to take the very easiest cases first before moving into the more those more competitive ones. I do think that for things like SaaS and productivity development, after you get the basic rails laid down of like Urbit working well, uh, internet money kind of smoothly functioning, in these things i think those are pretty attackable as well like productivity related stuff because
2: you're you're basically pulling you're not creating your own account for each productivity tool like it's it's, you're not that productive when you have to log Uh, in across like i actually
1: no well i think that part's a little bit of a red herring because like that's more urban
0: than the yeah
1: login with login with google kind of works and people are okay i think um I think the bigger thing is that you can't do very interesting things with them and the services themselves can't compose, which I think is a huge barrier. So more
2: related to like um Justin Murphy's point of like each time I'm trying to move someone from one SaaS tool to the other, I'm losing them and they're exactly or
1: even right. And you and it's not even that you like it's hard, it's that there's this whole set of use cases that you just can't do because your your information in each one can't talk to the other ones or even be composed into kind of monetary structures or investment structures or things like you know kind of corporate structures. I think that's like really like really the limiter. It's not you know it's not exposed and programmable and composable. And so when you think industry dollar, you should think lending. Everything about it is like making lending work well. And when you think um you know block dollar, you should think composable and programmable.
0: All right, well, well, thanks, everyone, for for listening, and we'll catch you next week uh, on the, I don't know, The Network Fucking Age.